Praise God. <clears throat> Let's be honest. Um, thank you so much, Michael. Let's be honest about this one. Ladies in here, do you go throughout life kind of like feeling even when God promotes you, even when God calls you, somehow you are his second choice? Um, do you sometimes feel, you hear a lot of ladies saying things like, you know, yeah, the reason I'm doing this is because there's a man who, who refused to obey God. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I want to tell you, we have to be careful of that kind of teaching and that kind of doctrine. God is using you because you are special and he's chosen you. He's not using you because, oh, yeah, I was really looking for a man to do this. Imagine going through, as men, we don't think about it, don't do it. Imagine going throughout life thinking you are God's third choice all the time. You're not God's third choice. We were powerful women in this church and God wants to use you. And one of the scriptures that's so powerful when you really study the word of God, you begin to see that when God gifts you in a particular way, his expectation is that you use that gift. So ladies, if you are gifted as a teacher, it's because God wants you to teach. Can I hear an amen? amen. If you are gifted to shepherd people, to pastor people, it means God wants you to pastor people. And the world is worse off because you're not rising up to do it. So if you're in this church and you love Jesus and you're a woman, God wants to use you. Amen? He also wants to use the guys, but there are no limits if you're a woman. Amen? Amen. There are also no limits for guys, but we're talking about Mother's Day today and we're talking about the women. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of women and speaking of leadership, how many of you have been enjoying the series on leadership that we've had? Okay, okay, okay. There's someone I just want to acknowledge because she's been away for some time and I know she's a good impromptu person. Mutsa Mangezi, please come. <laughs> Don't look the other way. Don't look the other way. Come, Mutsa. Quickly come. And I just want to ask Mutsa to grease the church and to tell you guys what's been happening in her life. Briefly. Briefly, she's just going to do so. Because we've been talking about leadership and God raising leaders and many of us haven't seen her in a while, but she'll tell you the story about what God is doing. Okay, you can use my mic. You can use my mic. I'm sure it will still work. Good morning, church. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Uh, morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the warm welcome. So, um, I've been, so I work for the, the International Red Cross, the ICRC. I'm a legal advisor with them. And about um, last year in September, I got a call from our headquarters um, and the background essentially is that we, many of the legal advisors are much older than I am. And I got a call saying, would you like to go to Addis Ababa to our delegation to the AU and head the delegation? So I was like, are you sure? <laughs> and at first I was like, no, it's, this is too much. I can't actually do it. But after a while and a bit of encouragement, I thought, okay, I'll take it on. So I went up and I was the deputy head of our office in Addis Ababa for about eight months. And it was incredible because... Um, when I arrived there, I felt completely inadequate, and it was, every day was like, God, I don't want to get out of bed, I don't know what I'm doing, and God would just encourage me, you know, like Jeremiah, and say, do not say you're too young for this, do it. So I would go to these meetings, and I met, I mean, it was incredible, I met so many heads of state, I met so many ministers, and I was doing this work every single day, and meeting people that I was really, like, I respected a lot, and I would arrive there and I'd say, God, I don't know what to say to this person. And God would say, just be normal, you know, say normal things. And 
I'm just blown away by God's grace and his, his, I'm just absolutely blown away by his kindness because I got there and not only did I meet amazing people, but I have amazing friends now who are really powerful people and incredible. And it has completely renewed my passion for the continent. And I saw a lot of bad things about the continent, but God reminded me that he's building something and that I'm part of it and that there's an obligation I have to contribute to this. And everything I have, whether it feels inadequate and whether to the eyes of the world it seems bad, God has created for my good. And, you know, when I, when I started and I went to so many meetings, people would say, how old are you? And I'd be so offended. And they'd say, do you have a degree? And why are you here? <laughs> and I was like, excuse me, yes, I have a degree, you know, but I began to love that question because every time people said it to me, it was like a testimony that I did not get there on my own. Yeah. God has brought me there. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was absolutely incredible. There's so many stories I can tell, but maybe I'll just tell one quick story that, um, you know, I, I wanted, when I was in Addis, I befriended one of the ambassadors um, from Nigeria. He was a very, you know, very respectful, much, much older man. And, but he was really discouraged. And I, and I, and I was like, I, mean, I shouldn't say certain things to him. But one day, I just took him aside and I said, can I encourage you? I said, God has brought you here for a purpose and you have a purpose on this continent and you need to do everything you can to lead this continent. So we can't afford for you to be discouraged. You need to go back, you need to pray, and you need to seek God, and then you need to lead us. And he kind of looked at me at first, like, excuse me. And then he kind of said, thank you, thank you, sister. And he walked away and I was like, oh, no, oh, no. And then he sent me a message later and he said, no one has ever been so honest to me. Thank you. It's been amazing and really just to take the spirit of the message to really encourage people that God sees you. You know the word says whether to the north or to the south, east or west, it is God who exalts a man. It's not your boss, it's not your degree, it's not your competencies, it's God. He's the one who exalts you and he's really doing it. So. If it was someone else, I might not have done that. But you know, with Mutsa, she just flows. As you saw. <laughs> Praise God. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you that you are raising us up for such a time as this. We thank you, God, that you're raising up the Esthers. You're raising up the Deborahs. You're raising up the Daniels, the Josephs, the Pauls, as in Paul the Apostle in the Bible. We thank you, God, for what you are doing in this hour. And we open our hearts to your word. And I pray, Father, that something will be activated in your people to go to their next level as leaders. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. What we're going to start off doing over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about leadership moments. Leadership moments. How many of you know that if you look throughout Scripture, you will see that there are moments of leadership? There are moments of leadership. I'm going to ask you to please turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Are you ready? The Bible says here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Jesus Christ, our hope. Ladies and gentlemen, God is taking us into an hour 
He's taking us into a season where we have a revelation that God's calling on your life is a command, not a suggestion. I'm going to say it again. God is taking us into a season. God is taking us into an hour where we begin to have an understanding and a revelation that God's calling on our lives is not just a calling, but it's a command. When you look at this scripture here, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the suggestion of God our Savior. No. By the idea of God our Savior. No, it says, by the command of God our Savior. And that word in the Greek is the word epitage, that word for command. It literally means mandate. It literally means a command. It means an injunction. We've got a number of lawyers here. An injunction, that's a legal term. The word injunction speaks of when you're given a command, a legal command to say, you know what, an injunction has been made that that person who you exercised violence towards, you're being sued, therefore you have to pay X amount of dollars or X amounts of rands. Okay? Or it could be, you're only allowed to operate in this particular region. Right? It's a legal command that you are being given. And there are consequences to disobedience. Can I hear an amen? amen? And I find it interesting that Paul the Apostle uses this term. He says, I became an apostle by the command. He says, by the command. And you see what's happening today is many of us are dancing around our purpose. Many of us, we talk so much about the prophetic words that we've received that we think we are walking in them, but we're not actually. It's so real to us in our minds that we've deceived ourselves in thinking, I've obeyed God because I talk about it so much and everyone describes me accordingly. But my question to you is, are you walking like Paul the Apostle did where he saw the calling of God as a command, as an injunction? As a mandate. And so today I'm going to be talking about the art of delegation and empowerment. And the reason I'm starting with this scripture is we will only delegate to other people. We will only empower other people, whether it's in your family or your business or the school that you're at or here in church. If you're a leader, if you're playing some kind of leadership role, you'll only do so when the fear of the Lord is strong on your life concerning the call of God for you. Why? I can only embrace the yes of my life if I've learned to say no to some things. And I will only delegate to other people when I have a revelation of what I should be focusing on. And I believe we're in a season where we need to ask ourselves serious questions. We're in a season where we need to ask ourselves the people that I care about the most, the people that need me the most in this life, what do they need from me that only I can give? Make sure you give them those things, the rest you can delegate. The people that need me the most in this life, what do they need from me that only I can give them? Make sure you give them those things, the rest you can delegate. You see, the way the enemy works in the lives of Christians is that very often he takes us to a place where he understands that this person is too zealous for Jesus. This person will never back down. This person will never have a defeatist mindset and be discouraged. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to burn them out. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to get them to be distracted with things other than their purpose and calling. That's why the sad thing is many Christians are running around like headless chickens. Very active. But activity does not equate with productivity. You can be very active but not productive. You can be very active but in the wrong direction. God is taking us into a place in our lives where we have a revelation of what has he called me to? What should I focus on that only I can do? I had an interesting chat quite recently with an aunt of mine in Zim. I was there. Oh, wow, guys, you all you heard the news. Lanston and Tendai. Lanston Justice Tafadzwa Goera is now married. Latest couple. Latest married couple around. Okay. I think we'll get to see them um, next Sunday. Okay. And we'll really celebrate with them. But it was very powerful. Right. It was great being there. Uh, I think Michael will testify. Beautiful wedding. And we thank the Lord for that. All right. So I was up in Zim recently and I was speaking to an aunt of mine. And the aunt, my aunt shared with me an interesting story. She's got grown kids now. One of them is a medical doctor. The other one is uh, doing quite well out in Canada, doing his thing. And she spoke about how her daughter used to have sleepovers. There was a circle of about six friends. And the one time it was their turn to host these friends. And she said to me, the friends came over. Now, my aunt is brilliant. She used to head up the hotel school and things like that there. She's brilliant in terms of cooking, baking, and catering. And she shares how these friends came over and she would get them to play, but she would also get them to do a few things, you know, to clean up after themselves. So, you know, girls would sort of mess around outside and so on. Their pants would get soiled and then she would basically say, okay, go, then, you know, clean your pants, wash the dishes, do this and that and so on. And one of the moms then had come, I think, to fetch one of the girls. And she said to my aunt, excuse me, what if, what if you just... Done. What, what, what am I? Oh, I'm getting her to wash off herself. And the lady says, no, no, no. My daughter has come to play. She's come on a play date. Stop abusing my child. <laughs> right? And, the, and these girls were like sort of like senior junior school. You know what I mean? Sort of like tail end of junior school, somewhere there. What was interesting was that a few years later when they were now at the high school, my aunt was hosting a particular function at her house. And she invited a particular family friend. And this family friend said, can I also bring some other friends of mine, please? And, the, and my aunt said, yes, they're very welcome to join us. And guess who was there? The mother of that particular child. And the child was there. And they were now in about uh, equivalent of grade eight or so, grade nine, somewhere there. All right. And what happened was the kids were playing, they were doing something. And then my cousin was called. But my cousin was still baking or washing dishes or something like that. And this lady then said, uh, excuse me, is your daughter, is she baking? Can she, can she teach my daughter to do the same, please? And my aunt said, no. Back in the day, I gave you that opportunity. But you said I was abusing your daughter. I'm sharing with you this story because sometimes when we think about the art of delegation and empowering people, what do we think of? We just think of managers. And some of you might switch off and just say, oh, Paul, this doesn't apply to me. But I'm going to think that God has called us to empower our children. God has called us to train up our children in righteousness. 
God has called us with the people that we're discipling to delegate to. You see, empowerment is so, so important. Empowerment literally means passing on the authority to decide downwards. It's not just about saying, I want you to do this activity. It's about saying, I want you to take on this responsibility and to be able to make decisions at a certain level. And how many of you know that empowering others is very central to leadership and it's very central to biblical Christianity. And if you are part of this church, we're going to do that. We'll be very strong on the supernatural, very strong on working of miracles and that kind of thing. But if you say, I want to be raised up as a leader, I want to know, how do I pass on the baton to someone else? How do I train up the next generation of leaders? This is the place to be, and we will teach you that. And we will do it on a Sunday. We won't wait for a seminar to do it. Amen? I believe every single person in this room here is called to some kind of leadership. So I've got three scenarios from scripture that I'm going to walk you through this morning. Three scenarios from scripture that I'm going to walk you through. I want to first of all highlight to you why it's important to empower other people. Are you ready? Whatever the context is. You see, when you delegate and you empower, it helps you to focus on only what you can do in your core role. When you pass on things to others to do, it will help you to focus on what only you can do. You see, there's a difference between delegation and abdication. There are some people, and I know some of you might have bosses like this, they're just lazy. And so they'll pass on everything and you'll be wondering, what does this person actually do? What are they paid to do? And maybe sometimes they'll say to you, I'm paid to decide. I just make strong decisions. One or two decisions per week. Okay. Now, it's one thing to abdicate responsibility. It's another thing to delegate responsibility because you're empowering someone else. I want you, wherever you are right now, to think of all those things that you're responsible for that God hasn't called you to carry by yourself. I'd like you to think of all those things that you're currently responsible for. But if you really think about it, God has not called you to carry that burden alone. Maybe it's in the house. Moms, maybe the things that you've done for centuries and your husband keeps offering to do it for you, but you feel insecure if he does it and you insist, no, I must always do it. No, I must always do it. Maybe you think to yourself, my child is too young to do A, B, C, D, to learn how to bake, to learn how to cook. Says who? Says who? Secondly, delegating and empowering to others allows people that are better than you the opportunity to do what they do best. How many of you know that when you're mentoring someone, when you're leading someone, it doesn't mean you're better than them? How many of you know that when you're coaching someone, it doesn't mean you're better than them? All these soccer coaches that we see and that we admire, are they better soccer players than the players? No, a lot of these guys weren't that good when it came to playing, but they're brilliant coaches. Come on now, when we research, I like researching on people and so on, and you see, hey, which team did this guy play for? And then you see that he played for an arbitrary team. Okay, no team is arbitrary before the Lord Jesus, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he played for one of those obscure 
teams where you're like, yeah, I think I've heard about it. Where is it? Which country again? Is it Turkey or is it Italy? Oh no, it's now in, in the B League in such and such a country. But the guys are brilliant coaches. Don't disqualify yourself from mentoring others just because you don't feel that adequate yourself. Sometimes the best mentors in the world are the ones who know how to ask questions that get to the heart of the matter. Are there people around you right now who can do way better than you, but you're intimidated by them, so you disqualify yourself from mentoring them? And God is actually saying, you know what? You've just got such a brilliant heart that sees the treasure in someone. I want to link you up to that person because you're going to speak to the treasure in their hearts. Thirdly, delegation gives the people in your team, the people around you, the opportunity to shine. How many of you know that one of the marks of a great mentor is what we call sponsorship? Great mentors sponsor the people around them. I'm not talking about sponsoring financially. I'm talking about sponsorship in the sense of whenever people ask about that individual, say, you must use so-and-so. You must use so-and-so. So if I'm mentoring someone and I'm invited by another church to preach, and I say, like, you know what? The best person for this, please, you should speak to so-and-so about it. Does that make sense? That's sponsorship. And maybe you're the man with the picture. Remember we preached about that? You're that person for someone else. You're going to be that link for someone else. Maybe with the breakthroughs that Mutsa Mangezi has had in Ethiopia and all these heads of states and so on, who knows? Maybe God sent her because of her association with us. And maybe it might be someone here in this room where a door is open for them through your woman with a picture. Does that make sense? You see, God calls us for people. Your calling isn't for yourself. Your calling is for people. It's one thing to use people to accomplish your dreams. It's quite another thing to serve people to help them to accomplish their dreams. God is calling us to do that. Whether you're a mom, the invisible mother, <laughs> or whether you're a business head, or whether you're a school teacher, we're called for people. Fourthly, delegation is an opportunity to test the capability of the people following your leadership. Have you noticed that very often we are leading people, but we don't actually know how capable they are? Have you noticed that very often maybe it's with your children? Sometimes they're very confident. I don't know if girls are like that, but I know with my boys, the testosterone levels are often very high. Right? No, dad, I can beat you in this. No, dad, I'm stronger than you at this. No, dad, dad, dad. Other day, one of my sons was doing some maths with his, with his mom, and he's very clever at maths and so on. And he says to me, just out of the blue, this is the greeting I get. You know, I barely said anything to him. He says, Dad, 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 no offense, but I get my smartness from mom. <laughs> well, how am I supposed to feel? <laughs> Why would someone say that? <laughs> what are they thinking? <laughs> But you know what delegation does? You pass on responsibility to someone to test where they actually are at. Because very often a lot of people are conceited. They've got a higher estimation of their abilities than they really have. Have you ever had that? When you're working, those of you who've been managers before, and you can see there are people in your team who feel like they should be in your position. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. 
Yeah? They feel like they should be in your position. You know why it's good to sometimes delegate to them? Okay. Okay, here, let me give you this project to work on. Then give me feedback after a couple of weeks. And what happens? The person comes out with a more accurate view of themselves. They judge themselves more soberly. <laughs> it also happens in churches, by the way. <laughs> Number five, delegation helps the delegate to have a more realistic view of his or her purposes. Number six, delegation assists in job enrichment and ultimately talent retention. Not so. If you give someone some work to do, they feel like, wow, at least I'm not bored anymore. If any of you are feeling bored in the roles that you play in this particular church, please come to us. Please say, you know what, I'm, I'm now getting bored of being a small group leader. I need a bigger challenge, please. And then we'll first see whether you've been faithful at that level and we'll give you a bigger challenge. Amen? It's so important. Do you know that people operate at their best, generally speaking, not when they're under-challenged. And also not when they're over-challenged. You see, when you're under-challenged, you get bored. You kind of feel like, guys, come on, my brain power needs to be used here. But when you're over-over-challenged, what happens? You kind of feel like there's no point in trying. These goals are unrealistic. People operate at their best when they're appropriately challenged. When they're challenged, but it's appropriate for them. And then when they're slightly stretched from that. And if you want to be a great leader, if you want to be a great mentor of people, whether it's with your children, whether it's in your organization, it's so crucial to keep stretching people, to keep stretching people, to keep stretching people. You see, many people can talk if they've had five weeks preparation. Amen? What I did to Mutsa over there, bringing her up and so on, I knew she could do. But many people who are good speakers can't do that. Some people would have blasted me for doing that. Amen? But how many of you know that when you're a speaker, when you're a communicator, the desire should be, you know what, I want to be able to do a five-minute version of that power message I've done before that takes two hours. Some of the workshops I do, people come to me and they say, um, how, so how long does that presentation take? And I say, it depends. I've done the two-day version. I can also do the two-hour version. So in whatever God has called you to do, keep stretching yourself saying, I want to get better. I want to get better. And make sure you begin to link up with mentors who will be able to stretch you. Do you know that it's been found that people become how they are seen by authority figures whom they respect and admire after five years? I'm going to say it again. People become how they are seen by authority figures whom they respect and admire after five years. So if you've got someone mentoring you and they accept your substandard work, do you know what ends up happening? After a while, you're like, I'll just submit it, it's fine. And you'll never, dis you'll never discover the greatness that's in you. But if you've got people you're working with who keep drawing out the greatness in you, people you're working with who say, you know what? The client will be fine with this. I'm sort of okay with this, but I know you haven't given me your best. And they stretch you. What happens? You begin to discover all sorts of things about yourself that you never knew were true. God has called us to be a people who pass on the baton. God has called us to be a people who mentor other people. God has called us to be a people who replace ourselves. 
God has called us to be a people, whether it's at home with our children, or at school with the people you teach, or in your small group, or in the business that you run. God has called us to be leaders who delegate and leaders who empower others. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, first scenario. Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 to 27. And please, as you look at this, see yourself on the one hand as the person who needs to delegate and empower to others, but also see yourself as the one who's been entrusted with the responsibility. You see, because if something is delegated to me, there's a responsibility that I have because I'm a steward. Amen? So today we're talking about those who will delegate and empower others, but we're also talking about those on the receiving end who receive the delegation. I want to say this. Just because God gives you a vision does not mean you are the one who's called to implement it. Just because God gives you a vision does not mean you're the one who's called to implement it. Think of David and Solomon. David gets this revelation of the temple. But what does he say? He says, I'm a man of war. My hands are full of blood. And who ends up building the temple? Solomon ends up doing so. The mistake a lot of leaders make is they get a vision and they assume they're the ones called to implement. How many of you know that sometimes a lot of people who are visionaries aren't good at implementation? Hello? My question to you this morning is, What vision has God given you that other people are called to execute and implement? I'm going to say it again. What vision or dream has God given to you? What blueprint has he placed in your spirit that others are called to implement? For me, when the Lord started speaking to me about this, I got really excited. Because I started realizing the talented people I know. I started realizing the talented people that I know that like me. And I started to realize that there are things God has placed in my inner person that aren't for me to implement. That other people will implement way better than I will. Exodus 18, 13 to 27. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening and we complain when the service goes over by 15 minutes and they stood around him from morning till evening when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people he said well done dude you're amazing I'm so impressed with you I'm glad that you're the guy who's getting married to my daughter Eh, wrong answer When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What are you doing? He said, What are you doing for the people? So we used to say that at school. What are you doing? What What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Why do you alone do all the baking? From morning till evening for your sister's wedding. Why do you alone do all the counseling in the church? From morning till evening. Counseling into the midnight hour. While people are waiting. 
Why do you alone do all the preaching and teaching in the different meetings in your church, Sundays, Tuesdays, Fridays, while all the people are sitting waiting? Why is the burden only on you? And you know, for me, I like to ask questions because I'm also curious to know. And the interesting thing is Moses gives an answer. And you see, many of us have an answer because we justify our ignorance. Have you noticed that? We rationalize our ignorance. Well, no, because I can't really hand over this because, yeah, no, pastor, yeah, but my guys, are, they're not talented enough. Yeah, no, people just trust me only. And very often the answer is rooted in conceit. We become people's savior. I know they'll collapse, they'll die without me. A few days ago, it was Ascension, Ascension Day, wasn't it? Those of you who keep track of dates and so on, right? Celebrating when Jesus went back up into heaven, right? Now, if Jesus was comfortable passing on the baton, if Jesus was comfortable delegating to his disciples, if Jesus was comfortable giving other people authority, saying these works that you see me do, if you believe in me, you'll do greater works, why can't I be? Why can't you be in whatever sphere that God has given you? Sometimes we look at a lot of people, look at a lot of people, great people who we admire, great communicators, great authors, and you look at them and you start realizing after some time that the guys aren't necessarily smarter than you. You know what the difference is between those people who've achieved greatness and the average person? You know what the difference is? They spend most of their time doing what they're good at. Simple as that. They spend most of their time doing what? Doing what they're good at. Moses answered him, verse 15, because the people come to seek God's will. So Moses was not mission-minded, he was need-minded. How many of you know that with the ministry of Jesus, very often people would come to him, crowds would come to him, and what would he say? He would say, you know what, guys, let's take a boat and let's go across the lake to the other side. For this reason, the Son of Man has come. I need to preach to them also. Jesus was mission-minded. And you see, some of you have become so need-minded that your whole life, your whole routine is based on other people's needs. Why are you doing this, Moses? Because the people come to me. The people, they just come to me. It's the people. The people, oh, they're coming. Everyone wants me everywhere. Some of you are like that with your friends. You might not be a manager in an organization, but you're the counselor to all your friends. And you complain to everyone, you see these people, oh, it's 12 midnight. Some of you are married and your husbands are like, how come you've just been speaking for 45 minutes with her? Can't, can't you talk to her tomorrow? They just come, you know, because, you know, I think, yeah, I was saying to Pastor Paul the other day, I'm called to counseling. It's my gift. But your family is complaining. The people, they just come to me. Moses' father-in-law replied. So you saw verse 15. Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. Oh, that's hectic. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Number seven, Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied. He was a wise man, wasn't he? What you are doing is 
not good. What you are doing is not good. How many of you know that very often the good in our lives is the enemy to the great? And we need to start defining the good in our lives as not good. Because from God's perspective, anything that takes you away from your core purpose is not good. That's the deception. The deception is because Moses was doing a good thing, counseling people, speaking to people, and he thought, well, it's a good thing. I'm helping people out. And his father-in-law described it as, what you're doing is not good. What is it that you are doing that is generally understood as good, but from God's perspective, it's not good because he's giving you a calling and that calling is an epitaje. It's actually an induction. It's actually an injunction, sorry. It's an injunction. It's a command. And you're being taken away from that because you've made second things first. Instead of first things first. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only, will only wear yourselves out. Why is there so much burnout today? It's because we're not doing first things first. You will only wear yourselves out. Some of us think that we'll never die. You know, like when you're young, you've got this sense of invincibility. My wife was saying to me the other day, she just realized that, you know what? This won't be forever. That evenings we have as husband and wife, it won't actually be forever. We actually need to maximize. The kids you have in your house, we realize that with Samuel, he's got more, he's got more he's had more days with us than he'll have with us in the future. Does that make sense? Some parents here, you're already in that space where your kids are now at university and they've left the house. And though they pop in for mom's favorite meal and stuff, pop in for visits to church, momsy, momsy, and so on. Okay? So we need to maximize because it doesn't last forever. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions. Who has God called you right now to be teaching what you know? And show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men. So you don't just delegate to anyone. Select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God. Trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. So look at their character. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. So they're degrees of delegation. If you want to read more around the art of delegation, look at my book, The 12 Ds of World Class Leadership. Look at the section, The Deploying Leader. That's the leader who delegates. The deploying leader. Okay? But there are levels of delegation. You don't delegate in the same level for everyone. There are certain things my kids are allowed to cook for themselves. There are other things they can't cook for themselves because it's dangerous. I kind of tested the capability this weekend at some point. And I saw where 
Some of them are at. <laughs> have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. Can you see what happens? We don't delegate everything, but there are certain things only we should deal with, but we should entrust other people to do the other things. But whenever you delegate, whenever you empower, you also have to give instruction. You also have to teach them. You can't just say, do this and this and this, but don't teach people how to behave. That's what the scriptures say here. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. I trust that you're listening this morning. He chose capable men. So he's not saying choose people who aren't capable. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. My question to you this morning is, are you carrying a load that is too heavy for you? Are you like Moses who was carrying a load that is too heavy for him? How many of you know that when God calls you to do something, he gives you the grace to accomplish it? Are you carrying a load right now that is too heavy for you? Are you in an environment right now where you kind of feel like, I'm not coping, I'm overwhelmed? Then that's indicative of the fact that maybe there's certain things you need to be delegating. At home, do you find yourself in a situation where you feel like, no one is helping me, and as the mother, I have to do this and I have to do that. Could it be that there's certain things you should start teaching your children to do? Amen? I know that I can go to the Mzembe's house, and I know that Sher, how old is Sher now? She's about 14. 14, 15. I know that, in fact, it's been like this for the last number of years, I'm, I'm guaranteed good baking. By Cher, the daughter. One of the daughters. <laughs> Amen. I'm not screening out the other one. The other one has got her own capabilities. Her own skill set. <laughs> okay. Amen. I went to the Dippiners the other day. You guys know the cinema's Dippin. I went to Marta and Eugene's place the one time. And I was seeing the, the daughters doing stuff. And their kids are like, their daughters are 10 and 11, I think. Hey? Somewhere there. Right? I go there and I'm seeing them doing something. I'm like, what's happening? And it's like, no, it's Thursday nights. I think it was Thursday. It's Thursday nights. It's our night to do stuff, to make stuff and so on. And it was nice stuff that they were cooking. And what was interesting was when they came, I didn't tell you guys this, but when they came to my house the one Friday night when the guys were banned or something like that, and they came to our house, their manners were impeccable. They came and after us, they said, do you need any help? Do you need any help washing anything? Do you need? I, thought my, I thought to myself, these girls are well trained. They'll make good wives for some kids one day. <laughs> Don't say my kids, I'm just saying they're well trained. No problem. <laughs> Amen? How do you guys think? <laughs> So sometimes visitors will come to your house and they experience the benefits of something. My cousin who I was talking about, she was shocked when she then went overseas and she was studying medicine and she's there sharing rooms with someone and she says to her mom, she says, Mom, I know you were very strict with us concerning some of these things, but I'm, I'm glad now. I now understand. 
Because I, I was shocked when I saw like this roommate of mine like didn't know how to do stuff for herself. I grew up in a family of boys, four boys, no girls. Let me tell you something, when, you've, when, when there are no girls around, there's no default to say, that's a woman's job, you do that and so on. They're things you learn. Now I have lots of people doing stuff for me, but my wife will tell you, the things I'm saying to you, things I practice also. In the, I don't have a problem doing stuff. You see, what I found interesting, remember the first verse I gave you from 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says that Paul, an apostle, by the command of God, our Savior. There's nothing wrong with a command when it comes from a place of love. You see, that word Savior is the same word that means to rescue. So it's saying, this is from a command of God, our rescuer. If I'm, if I'm doing some rock climbing, you know, some of you are thinking, no, Paul, black people are just into plain service. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, in another life somewhere, if I do some rock climbing and my wife is coming, let's say we're hiking and we've got our hiking boots on, and my wife is climbing up behind me and she slips, if I say to her, Tracy, hold ya! It's very appropriate, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's in the context of Tracy being rescued. Yes. Now, if you hear me speaking like that to my wife, outside of the context of rescuing her, what would you think? Are you commanding your wife like that and shouting at her? And I find it very interesting that he, God says, I'm calling you, Paul, as an apostle, and it's a command. It's an injunction. Why? It protects us. And there are consequences with not putting first things first. There are consequences. Are you carrying a load that is too heavy for you? Are you carrying a burden that is not from Jesus? Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're doing the thing God has called you to do, there's a grace for it. There's a grace, you just flow. When you are in God's will, you will have the grace to carry that which he gives you. Are there some aspects of your life right now where you're feeling like, oh, no, I don't think I've got the grace for this anymore. Begin to think and think seriously and say to yourself, are there certain things that I'm carrying that are not for me, but they're for someone else? Is this something that's just a season that God wants me to push through? Or is this an opportunity for me to empower someone else? So we see from this passage that there are levels of delegation. We see from this passage that there's a difference between delegation and abdication. It was something that was so precious, so important to Moses, and he passed it on to capable men. Sometimes we think we've delegated, but we've just dumped things. So my question to you is, when you have the opportunity to delegate, whether it's to your children, whether it's in your business, why don't you? Can I share with you some reasons why people don't delegate? Number one, perfectionism. Perfectionism. And a lot of people who are perfectionists, they use the excuse of saying, no, 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 God wants us to have a spirit of excellence, you know. No, we have to be excellent about what we do. The spirit of excellence and perfectionism is not the same. You see, what excellence is, is doing the best you can with what you have. And you're doing it as unto the Lord. 
With perfectionists, you'll see that they literally get addicted to getting 100%. And when they get 95%, even if it was outside of their control, they beat themselves up. And they only come to a place of contentment when everything is perfect. And perfectionism is very often linked to the spirit of religion. The religious spirit. Let me encourage you. If someone can do something 80% as good as you, let them do it. Pass it on to them. Let them do it. You weren't as good as they currently are when you started. Let them do it. And those of you who are parents, be careful what you say to your children. Those of you who are mentoring people at work, be careful what you say to your children, your, the people you are mentoring. Be very careful. I was signing a document from my kid's school the other day. That was yesterday. It's a sporting code where there have been various issues, I think. And they were saying, you know what? Please make sure as parents that you don't be, belittle your children when they don't score or when they don't achieve as well as you expected them to. Don't tease them. Don't embarrass them. Amen? Secondly, inflexibility. If my mentality as a leader is, it's my way or the highway, shape up or ship out, there's only one way to do this. It's going to be very difficult for me to pass on things to other people if there's only one way to do it. Because I'll have a whole lot of frustrated people around me who'll be saying, you, you're saying I must do this, but you're cramping my style. I, it's, it's like I'll still get the same result, but I like to do it this way. You know that one of, the, one of the things that the latest leadership research is showing is that one of the reasons why leaders fail, number one, they don't know how to build strong relationships. Number two, is they're too rigid. One of the biggest causes of leaders failing today is they're too rigid. They're not flexible enough. Thirdly, an unwillingness to train others. I know that there's some people just don't have time. They're here. I can't pass this on to someone else because hey, I just don't have time to teach them. Time is money. Money is time. Oh, I don't have time to teach them. When I look at the ministry of Jesus, he spent a lot of time pouring in to his disciples. And after three and a half years of ministry, he was able to pass on something that was solid and they remembered the things that he had taught them. Isn't that wonderful? If Jesus did it, why can't we? Number four, control freak tendencies. Sometimes when you delegate to someone else, you feel out of control, don't you? You feel like, oh, this is no longer in my hands. I just can't do it. Number five, past experiences. Some of you might have come from backgrounds where you just like, feel like, you know what, Paul, I've been burnt before, never again. Paul, I asked so-and-so to do something for me before. From now onwards, and you make an inner vow. I will never pass things on to anyone else. And sometimes it's just poor delegation skills. We don't actually know how to delegate to someone else. We don't know how to clarify the expectations. We don't know how to cast vision for someone else. Other times it's number seven, incorrect assumptions. We assume the person is too loaded with too much responsibility, so we never ask them to do anything. Because we just think, ah, it will be too much of a burden. And here's something that I learned. 
Very often, the very thing that you loathe, someone else loves. And very often, the things that you love, someone else loves. So sometimes we project our preferences onto someone else. And we say to ourselves, ah, giving them all that admin to do, it could be torture. Because it's torture for you. But for them, it's fine. We're in a season where God is calling us to pass on things that we need to pass on. Luke chapter 10. Look and look. I'm going to read from verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Amen. Amen. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. How many of you have done that before? Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Right? And Jesus continues speaking. And then he says something in verse 16. He says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. When you delegate, you're delegating authority. And when people don't receive that authority from you, they're rejecting the one who gave you the authority. When you've got a small group leader who's over you, who's looking after you, but you don't respect that person, it means you're not respecting me in the context of this local church. All authority is delegated. Now, what I find interesting here is we see some principles because the guys come back and Jesus says, and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus began to thank the Father who had revealed these things, not to the wise. That's such a powerful passage of scripture because we see an example of the art of delegation and empowerment from Jesus. And I want to show you these principles that we can learn about delegation. The first is that Jesus empowers. He literally gets hold of his disciples and he says, I'm giving you this authority. I'm giving you authority over all the power of the enemy. 
There are things that Jesus has called us to do. He's delegated to us, but he's also given us authority. He's given us power. That's what the word empower means, to give power to. Isn't that powerful? When you delegate to someone, give them that authority. Release them. The second thing we see is that Jesus commissions. He didn't just say, I'm calling you to such and such. He also says, I'm now commissioning you to do a particular thing. That's very powerful. The third thing we see is that Jesus gave clear instructions. He says to them, guys, this time don't go with a purse. Don't go with a bag. This time when you enter someone's house, do this if you see someone who's worthy of peace. When you pass on responsibility, it's important to give the prerequisite instructions. And Jesus did that. The next thing we see is that Jesus trusts us and he believes the best about us. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus sent out the 72 and when he sent out the 70, he didn't just say, hey guys, but be very careful. Oh guys, yeah, I'm, I'm asking you to do this, but yeah, guys, to be honest with you, I'm not too sure. Hey guys, are you sure? Are you sure? There's some managers that are notorious for doing that and it annoys people. You, they give you work to do and five minutes later, are you doing it okay? Is everything okay? And you start feeling like, why have you asked me to do this if you don't really trust me? But Jesus showed that he was believing the best. Other thing Jesus did was he warns them of the dangers. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among, amongst wolves. When you delegate to people, warn them. Say, you know what, but just be careful of that individual over there. Look, I want you to do this, but you know what? When you switch on the stove, make sure you don't put it too, too hot. Or make sure you don't have the pot sticking out because you could bump it and you could end up burning yourself as a result of it. We delegate, but we warn of the dangers. Amen? Then we see that Jesus imparted his values. Isn't it amazing how he corrects them? They come back and he corrects them. And he says to them, you know what, guys? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Don't rejoice so much that you're casting out devils. The main thing is rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So he helped them concerning the values. The next thing we see is that Jesus expects us to represent him fully. Jesus expects us to represent him fully. He says, go, heal the sick. He didn't say, ah, guys, just leave this one to me now. He says, go, you can, the stuff I do, you can also do. Go, heal the sick. I've empowered you. Have you deauthorized yourself from some things? Are there certain things right now where you're saying, ah, that's only for pastors. Ah, that level. Oh, no, no, no. That's that anointing. That's too much for me. Says who? God empowers you. We see that Jesus, he clarifies the win. He shows them that this is what's most important in this time, that the people are getting saved. And we see that Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He rejoices and says, Father, thank you that you've revealed this to babes, to little ones, to the, the people that are not treasured by the world. You've revealed it to them. That's my second scenario. So we spoke about Moses' situation and we see empowerment there. We spoke about Jesus, the way he empowered his people. And then finally, I'm going to close with this. We see this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6 from verse 1 through to 7. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. How many of that complaints increase 
Very often, even when things are going well. If we have a hundred more people coming into this church, it's great, people are getting saved. But guess what? There will also be conflict that might arise. But God can use that conflict to spur us on into his purposes and to get us focused. It says, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Do you remember how Jethro said to Moses, what you're doing is not good. And in the same way, the apostles are saying to each other, it's not good. It's not right for us to neglect the word and pray because we are waiting on tables. Can you see that? Now, they could have had a religious spirit and thought to themselves, this is what we must be doing because we're demonstrating that, you know, as leaders, we also serve. But you see, part of their act of service was spending time in the word and in prayer. And so they said, it's not actually right for us to be doing this. And then they say, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And then they chose these men. And look at the results. It says that, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased now rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The principles we see here is that they were already experiencing some degree of success. We see that good things can still lead to conflict. But God can use the conflict to help us to make good decisions. They had to guard against neglecting their primary purpose. What is your primary purpose this morning? God is calling us as a people to guard against neglecting our primary purpose. We see that they needed to delegate responsibly. They couldn't just delegate to anyone. We see that they had a criteria for delegation. They said it has to be men full of the Holy Spirit and of Wisdom. What is the criteria by which you delegate to others? And then we also see the principle that delegation frees you up. When you delegate, it's not because you're lazy. True delegation is so that you're freed up to do your primary purpose. And we see that the result of delegation was more fruit. It was multiplication. My final question to you this morning is, what are you neglecting as the result of not delegating. What are you neglecting as a result of not delegating?